the UK Psych Health and Safety and ISO 45003 podcast. The goal of the UK Psych Health and Safety podcast is to be your source of information on psychological injury prevention, health promotion and best practice. In doing this, we aim to rapidly advance the global practice of psychological health and safety in workplaces and adoption of best practices from the ISO 45003 standard. We will be looking at fully integrated approaches to managing psych health and safety and well-being strategy in the workplace that meet the needs of everyone in the organisation. Your regular host will be Peter Kelly, Senior Psychologist with the UK Health and Safety Executive and Sheila Lord of BMR Health and Wellbeing. Every week we will have a guest episode from the fields of health and safety, human resources, psychology and academia who are leading the way in their corner of the globe. and welcome to the latest uh, episode of the UK Psych Health and Safety Podcast. I'm Sheila Lord and this week I am joined by Lindsay Simpson. Uh, Lindsay's from Spark Team Communications and she is a communications and engagement specialist. She's also the lead researcher on the Workforce State of Mind survey that was carried out this year. Um, uh, we're doing our third year actually third we're year? Our third year in January yeah excellent excellent and that was specifically around the leisure industry wasn't it Lindsay? yeah we fitness and active leisure so we're focused on on the workforce there as a national survey fantastic fantastic so Lindsay just uh, th- that's the introduction to you I mean today's topic we're going to be talking about communications and how important communications are in the implementation and the ongoing um performance engagement of well-being programs in the workplace so uh, tell us that before we get into that uh, just tell for the you know for the for the sake of our audience just give us a little bit of background about you and how you got involved in uh, communications um, and why it's such a, an important area okay well first thanks for having me on it's lovely um, to be on here I've been listening to it from the beginning um, so I guess gosh my um, I have quite an eclectic career um but there's kind of three themes I suppose that go through it the sort of health communication psychology side of things so I started off my career in health and fitness um teaching swimming teaching fencing worked abroad in um, America and Japan um and I worked primarily in the fitness industry um and did a range of roles um I started off in the creche which was an education I think one of the reasons I had children quite late um, and then it went into PT instructing, but also into the operational side of things, which in a shift working non PC based environment is, is quite interesting. It was quite an education. Um, and then I kind of got more into um, PR and communications and I worked for a fantastic um, PR agency. And then I decided to go freelance and freelance. I started to get more into the internal comms side of things. Um, and I worked across massive range of industries from um pharma to transport to finance to all sorts and when you're in comms uh you tend to be right in the heart of things you tend to see a lot of things so I saw inside um a lot of organizations and I saw how fundamental culture was to how they performed and I think I saw the good and the bad and the ugly um and as I started to become more and more involved in internal comms The key thing about internal comms is if you don't understand something, you can't communicate it. And often what I was being asked to communicate hadn't been thought through and it didn't really make sense. And so I found myself questioning more and more what they were trying to communicate, why they were trying to communicate it and trying to understand the context and the strategy and the impact of this communication. You know, this was sort of 
in the 90s where there was this idea that you could just spin stuff and people would believe it. I, I, I don't think that's true. I think people are very sensible. You can't outcomes a bad culture. Um, so I guess I then sort of moved more into organizational development and culture and strategy. And as I started to do that again, I saw the sort of best and worst of management and also the impact that had on me um, and also on those around me. And it really cemented my interest in the, the, the workforce experience and internal peace. And sort of moving on many, many years, um, I kind of formally became aware of workplace mental health as a kind of concept, if you like, during the pandemic. And through, I met a mental health first aider, Chris Callison, if he's listening, who's a phenomenal individual. Um, and um, I trained as a mental health first aider. I thought, gosh, why doesn't everybody know this? It should be like CPR. And then trained as a mental health first aid instructor. And then sort of through that, I realized that actually this is what I'd been doing for the last 20 years, but under a, a different guise. And obviously I learned more, but it was essentially about creating good work, being a good employer um, and being, being a good organization to work for. And so I started, I don't know how I discovered, but I discovered Jason's podcast initially. I think I was looking for resources um, and I listened to every episode available and it just confirmed what I was thinking. It developed my knowledge. And then I was delighted when the UK version came along, because, of course, then you're talking about UK legislation and it sort of really resonated for me. And I listened avidly um, to that. And to me, it's astonishing. I'm on the podcast, but um, wonderful too. Um, <clears throat> and then during the pandemic, uh, another freelance comms pro, Katie Lewis, who who I now work with, we started talking, she'd also done that training and we started talking about doing something in the health and fitness sector. And we talked about training, but I was like, well, there's already training out there. That's not really the issue. I like systemic change. I like to go to the root causes of things. I didn't want to sort of faff about at the edges. So we were looking, trying to do some research and there was no research. Um, and so we decided that we should do it. So um, we created the Workforce State of Mind Survey and we launched it in 2021. We had a phenomenal response. Uh, we repeated it again um, in 2022. I so wish that we had done it <laughs> pre-pandemic. So we had that kind of, but we, but we didn't. But we're now going into the, the 2023. And I think what we're doing is we're shifting the conversation in the sector. We had, we were there, Sheila. We had, you know, workplace mental health as the keynote at an industry event that just hasn't happened before. Um, so it's a slow process. Um, but hopefully the work that we're doing is helping to inform and educate that and shift people towards understanding um, that this is an organizational competence. It's about risk management. It's about culture and the, and the benefits of doing those things. So um, I continue down that path. I love my comms work, my engagement work. I'm trying to, in my Venn diagram, bring those things together, upskill comms pros to be more influential in this area, starting my master's in workplace wellbeing in September. So uh, the journey continues, I guess. That's a very long answer, sorry. <laughs> Fantastic, well, that's great. It gives our listeners a real good background as to, you know, because the, the, some listeners might be thinking, well, why a comms person on a psych health and safety? Um, podcast and I think you know what you've just given us there gives a good background to that so so in terms of good comms in a well-being strategy you know I see that and I see this through the work that we do and the conversations that we have is that oftentimes organizations are going out there and they're buying these component parts of well-being strategy um, so that could be the investment in mental health first aiders it could be investment in an employee assistance program uh, and various other initiatives and in, uh, incentives that are brought into an organization but oftentimes 
when you go into these organizations and we see this, I always use the classic example of the receptionist. Any time we speak to anybody, we always ask the receptionist, have you got any mental health first aiders in your organization? And she says, oh, I'm not really sure about that. Let me find out who the right person is for you to speak to and I'll put you through. And then when we get through and then the organization tells us, well, actually, yeah, we've got 50 mental health first aiders. We're like, oh, not like your receptionist. You don't want to tell her about it. That, that's the thought that's going through my mind. So, you know, there's clearly a communication issue there. So how can we use communications in terms of, A, the implementation of wellbeing programmes, you know, and that comms piece, I think, often gets missed because people go off and they do their little bits, but disseminating that information across the organisation is is not often high on the agenda. And actually the ongoing communication when you've got programs and not just well-being, we're talking about any kind of initiatives, activities, um, processes, you know, within a business. So how how do we do good comms in terms of a well-being strategy? So I would take it back a step further. I think mm-hmm. it starts right at the beginning. It should be comms is the heartbeat of organizations. It's fundamental, it's about culture, it's about how the uh, organization talks to itself and what it focuses upon. And comms should be integral to the wellbeing strategy right from the intention to create one. Mm-hmm. So, um, because it's absolutely, as we were just talking earlier, it's just fundamental to culture, which really is what that internal, that sorry, what that um, wellbeing strategy is about. You're trying to create a culture, hopefully, where psychosocial health and safety is just how we do things around here. It's part of how we think and behave, and it's woven into the DNA of the organization, like hopefully, physical health and safety is physical health and safety isn't a project it's never done um mm. and when it becomes part of the culture that and, and it's a continuous process that we talk about and that lives in the organization that to me is when when you're doing it well um and i think great comms is kind of that thread that helps integrate integrate all the various functions and the levels of the workforce and it creates that sort of really robust meaningful strategy that's embedded in reality Comms pros are normally right at the heart of the workforce because they're talking with them constantly. They amplify that employee voice because they understand it, because they engage, because they ask, because they talk. And we've talked often, haven't we, about consultation Mm. being at the heart of a realistic strategy. And that's what comms pros do all the time. That's their role is to listen to the business and to communicate with, not at, not to just broadcast. Um, And they have many tools at their disposal and also a lot of insight, a lot of experience. Um, They know what works, they know what resonates, they know where the blockers are. So, um, you know, as you've said on the podcast many times, one size does not fit all. If you don't understand your organization and its people, how are you going to involve them in creating a strategy that works? I mean, I've worked in many organisations that know their customers far better than they know their people. Absolutely. And I think that is is a huge, um, you know, that just that statement in itself, because we focus more on the customers. We focus more um, on where we perceive the value and the profit and um, the success of our businesses is in the customers and not in our people. But actually, if you didn't have people who would service those customers. So if those customers are vital to you, surely the people that are looking after those customers across the whole of your organization, looking after that whole customer experience, need that same level of love, care and attention. Well, I think we should be looking after our workforce with at least the same Same. amount of understanding of really intentional 
well-being support and that's really about being a well-managed well-organized company you can't say to your people we want you to deliver fantastic customer service and we want you to do this and we want you to do that we're not going to treat you that way by the way but that's what you should be doing for other people for me it's very much like parenting you know the, you, you can't expect your children to be really well behaved if you treat them poorly so you know i think what happens on the inside of organizations is reflected on the outside and people have an intentionality with the external piece that they don't tend to have with the internal piece most organizations wouldn't dream of not having a marketing function they, they just it just wouldn't compute and yet many still don't have an effective internal comms function and it needs to be planned and it needs to be sustained and it needs to be um, meaningful to the organization that it works in. Yeah, it's absolutely interesting, Lindsay, that you use the parenting analogy because um, that, that's something that, you know, we use a lot when we're talking about this, well, um, the staff well-being piece about how, you know, what we change our behaviors. If we treated our employees like we do friends, like we do family members with that same level of consideration and respect, rather than commodities or assets that we own, then it, it, it's a completely different engagement piece. So just kind of want to move on to like what elements of communication are specifically important um, in this work, in this context, when it comes to the well-being communication. Now we've talked about kind of that two-way communication and not talking at people and broadcasting information, which tends to be oh. a way a lot of this, this is, this tends to go in terms of that communication piece. But what are these key elements that are of particular importance? Well, I guess I guess when we talk about communication as two-way, I would actually call it multi-way. I tend to think of communication like one of those, you know, those rubber band balls where there's hundreds of rubber bands all on each other. That's the reality of communication. It's messy. So mm. you've got the formal communication routes. You've got the up and the down and the sideways. But you've also got all the informal communication routes and often they're really really powerful the key influence in the key influences in a business aren't always the ones that have the most pertinent job titles and in fact often you know maybe it doesn't have so much but it used to be this you know the smoking area was often where a lot of really key conversations went on because barriers were broken down you get the you know the chief exec talking to various people who perhaps wouldn't normally come into their sphere and that was a really rich source of information and understanding. So a really comms teams that are really switched on know how mm. the grapevine works. They know who to speak to, to understand what's really going on. So there's that formal and that informal piece and that understanding that communication goes in many ways through organizations and in an increasingly um, digital age. You know, when I first started comms, internal, external was very discreet, but now the internal and the external, is, it's quite difficult to draw that line, really, mm. because of social media, because of the internet, because of the speed which things travel. Um, so it's a, it's a very dynamic landscape. So I guess in terms of your, going back to your question about what are the key elements, I think for me, there's probably three key elements. So the first is the role that communicators need to play in developing the process, which mm -hmm. we've just kind of talked about before. If you create a strategy in isolation from your people, if you do it to people, it's not going to work. So you've got comms people there who have perhaps details from engagement surveys, from focus groups, from all the conversations that they've had and their understanding of what matters to your workforce um, and bringing all that into the process, as well as their skills at strategy development, 
articulating it in a way that people can understand and can use and can bring to life. I've seen some interesting strategies that are so complicated that, that no one can understand them. Or they live in someone's drawer, or often they're in the highest paid person's head. And sometimes I'll go into organisation, I'll go, oh, what's your strategy, blah, blah, blah. I said, if I ask your team that, will they know? Oh, yes, they'll know. Guess what? They don't know. So if the leadership team aren't clear on the strategic objectives, how on earth is that going to be communicated through with the rest of the business? So I think there's a really important piece about comms approach to be absolutely in at the beginning about what are we actually trying to do here? What's the evidence? What are the right questions to ask? What do our people think? How do we know that? Where are the gaps? What are the resources that we have that can answer those things? Um, because, you know, a strategy that no one knows about or can't understand isn't going to work. A strategy that needs needs to be brought to life to be effective. And that's hard work. And of course, people are brilliant at it. That's that's what their job is. That's what they do. So the second thing around this, I think, is about being subject matter experts. I think they're less good at this in the mental health space because very few internal comms pros have had training or experience in workplace mental health. They might be trained as mental health first aiders, but that doesn't really look at the risk management element of it. Um, and in fact, I've created a training course for internal comms pros to meet that exact need. And I've had some very experienced comms pros on that telling me how valuable it is. So even really fantastic experienced comms pros often don't have that kind of risk management understanding of workplace mental health. So generally what I see and what I hear is organisations and communications focused on those bookends. So they're talking about the agro buzz, which of course is valuable, health growth is great, it's important, and they talk very much, probably more so about the support piece. Again, really important, really valuable, but what they're missing out is that middle risk management piece, which is about the good practice. And, and that's the meat of it. And so... Yes. It's not their responsibility to instigate this. Of course it's not. But I think they've got a role to play in asking the right questions. Yeah, absolutely. And, and looking at how um, organisations implement and engage with this type of stuff, because if you're not having those communications top down and bottom up, so it's all meeting and working together, it's just going to die a die of death, isn't it? It's also not going to be effective. It's not going to be resonant. So. I think they've got a real role to play in asking the right questions. And to ask the right questions, they need to understand conceptually psychosocial health and safety is. They need, I think they can be really adept at bringing health and safety professionals into the comms mix. They're fantastic at being catalysts and facilitators of change and of discussion. And, and often I see health and safety professionals on the periphery of this work. Mm -hmm. And they should, of course, they should be right in the thick of it. And it depends what kind of operational environment you're in. Mm. But um, I often think health and safety professionals don't particularly focus, or the ones I know don't particularly feel comfortable in that comm space. And comms pros don't feel that necessarily always that comfortable. They, they wouldn't think, oh, workplace mental health, I need to go and talk to health and safety. I think as well, there's an element of the language piece in here. So I've certainly found that, you know, when I started in this site health and safety uh, arena and talking about risk management and, and, and using terminology, it baffled people. 
and people were overwhelmed by stuff that makes them feel stupid because they don't understand it and it makes them feel like a bit of a wally because should I know about this stuff? Should I understand this? And actually, I think what we need to do as well in, you know, one big consideration in this comms piece is to talk to people in a language that they can understand and receive the information. And that's, and that's my third point is language. Yeah. Language, language is vital. Mm. It shapes how we think about things. Yeah. It shapes how we, whether we come to something or not. Yeah. And the mindset that we have when we come to it. And if we, as you say, even willing to open our minds to it and to focus on it. And I think the concept of even the concept of mental health is really frightening to a lot of people. I mean, you and I, uh, I had a long chat with Peter about it at the water quality. We grew up in the 70s. You know, the language used around health and safety, sorry, around mental health, is appalling. <laughs> I mean, just, <laughs> I mean well, let's not even go there. You know, it's, it's really, really appalling. And thank goodness that's moved on. But a lot of the people that are in leadership positions now grew up in that context. And they, um, they, they are scared to go into that space because of all the legacy issues around that. And, you know, I use a, a fitness analogy. We've talked about this. Most of mm. the people I talk to you, talk to, are in the couch to 5K of workplace mental health. Mm. They haven't even bought their trainers yet. Yeah, they don't really understand what psychological health and safety is. They conflate it with psychological safety and they are afraid to come to it. And they say, but I don't have any. I'm not a mental health expert. I'm not. I don't understand that. I'm going to open up a can of worms. Well, that can's already open, as we know. And actually, well, if we start talking about things like ISO 45003, which I think is a fantastic piece of work, but that's like asking them to run a marathon. Absolutely. And you know, when they haven't even got their trainers on. So we need to meet people where, where they, they are. are. That's a communication issue for the kind of work we want to do. Absolutely. Is, you know, it's, it's using language that helps people. And when I explain it to people, they go, oh, that, oh yeah, OK, that's that's different. Yeah, hmm. we can do that. And it's hmm. helping them to do that. And I think one of the things that I one of my little bugbears is the way that the media a little bit talks about workplace mental health and the case studies are always big organizations who've got lots of resources who've got um lots of specialists coming in when they're only you know 0.1 percent of the private um business market mm. and actually i think sometimes that walks the narrative for smaller organizations mm. that think oh my goodness we haven't got this and we haven't got that but they don't think that way about physical health and safety they absolutely understand that they have to do physical health and safety and it's it's a no-brainer yeah and it's, um, it is it's breaking it down into a language you know if you turn around to somebody and say oh you need to implement a psychosocial uh, psychosocial uh, health and safety uh, policy and a risk management process or you turn around to somebody and say you really need to make sure that work's a really good place for people to be that they can all speak up when they um, have a problem or they have an idea and that they're not going to feel stupid humiliated uh, or um, you know comfortable and, uh, and out of their comfort zone they're the same thing but when you speak them in a different language they're received very very differently and and I've certainly found that you know I, I have a tendency to get lost in techno babble sometimes and I did that very much at the at the start of my journey mm -hmm. and when I was met with all these puzzled faces I was like Sheila you need to strip it back and then I was like nope you need to strip it back even further because you know my brain as the person that's trying to drive these changes 
is so much further down the road than somebody else's. And then I'm like, well, actually, if somebody was explaining to this and I'm explaining it, if I'm explaining it to my 11 year old son, what I do, that's the language I need to use. Just keep it simple. Don't be clever about it. Just what is it we're trying to achieve? And in all of this space, with all the mental health, the psychosocial, the risk, the hazard, the what's the difference between this and that, what we're looking to do is to create workplaces that are enjoyable, where we enjoy going to work, where we enjoy doing our job, where we've got great relationships with people, our workloads are manageable, we've got the right tools to do the job. And if any of that is out of kilter and it's causing us to become stressed at work, we want a mechanism whereby we can flag that comfortably and have that re- and, and then know that somebody's going to listen to us to either resolve the situation or advise us why that can't be resolved so we know that's it yeah and i think the concept of good work is yeah. a really really powerful concept and in fact that's one that we really focus on because it because it kind of does what it says on the tin and i think the other thing that's really i found really helpful when i communicate to people is is giving them the analogy with physical health and safety absolutely so you know, we wouldn't say to somebody, well, there's a wet floor over there, but I am not going to flag that because I'm not a physio and I'm not a doctor. So mm-hmm. I'm not flagging that wet floor because goodness me, I, you know, I couldn't do the surgery if it was required. And we, of course, we wouldn't do that. But I think people have a, a strange fear around, well, not strange, I completely understand it. They have a fear around workplace mental health that they're not clinically trained. They're not a psychologist. Um, they're not a counsellor and therefore they can't it's inappropriate for them to act in that space it is inappropriate for them to be trying to do clinical interventions when they're not but most of what organizations need to do in the area I work in is around being a good employer absolutely and providing good work good management it's not sexy not exciting can't really outsource that (laughs) but that's what this is about and also not only does it make you compliant and but it's commercially better for you. And, you know, all, this, all the data is there. And also it's the right thing to do. You know, it's it, a human thing to do. Um, you know, and it's, it, it's, it's absolutely, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you just look at this and go, give me one reason why you wouldn't create good work. You know, we're, we're in a marketplace now where attracting staff is challenging. Retaining staff is challenging organizations are losing people hand over fist and it's not down to salary it's about the experience of work mm-hmm. and that work-life balance I went over you know the hospitality industry is struggling at the moment all of the industries where we've seen a lot of our kind of um, the impact of Brexit where workers have, have gone back to Europe etc and we don't have the people around that want to do those jobs is you know I walked into my local um, pub the other day um, and it's always a walk-in pub never you could never book a table like, have you got a booking I said no I've got a booking uh well sorry we're not doing walk-ins anymore because we don't uh, a couple of members of staff didn't turn up for work they can't operate the kitchen at a certain level so this organization now is losing out on loads of custom and I was chatting to one of the one of the kids behind the bar on the young like early 20s and, I, and he was like, oh, I'm really sorry. I said, it's, it's not your fault. It's the situation that you're in. And I appreciate that you probably get a hard time from a lot of customers at the moment that, that aren't as um, compassionate. And he was like, do you know, the company's trying to do everything it can. It's trying to recruit more people. It's pay, they're paying us more in our wages. 
but I'm still going to leave anyway because it's not the money. I just can't stand the experience. I mean, we've got, you know, this. I've walked away from, I know plenty of people that have walked away from well-paying jobs because of the way that that organisation operates, because mm. of the way people are managed, the way they're treated, the way they're undermined, the workload, the unreasonable. You know, I think most people go to work to do a good job. And most people I see give far more than they most not all but most yeah. people I think give far more than they are paid to do because they care absolutely and because they're professional absolutely. and actually if you create intention and I think intentionality around this is so critical this is not going to happen by accident hmm. but there's some fantastic simple frameworks you know the management standards the thriving at work standards um that are a really good starting place. You know, the work is out there. So for me, the challenge, and I think it's a communication issue, is how do we get those organisations to understand what they need to do, to feel comfortable going there, and to realise not just actually you're legally required, because a lot of people I talk to don't know that, yeah. um, but also this is going to benefit your business around all these different areas. Absolutely. Because I think most of the focus around workplace mental health that I see in the media and on social is around the conversation of what's happened when it's gone wrong. Absolutely. And there's no focus. Um, and then this really does annoy me uh, because when we're talking about workplace mental health, it's always in the negative. We talk about, we don't talk about workplace mental health. What everybody is talking about is workplace mental uh ill mental health not mental health health is health is positive when we talk about physical health we don't think of a broken leg automatically we think of the gym we think of exercise we think of a salad you know mm -hmm. someone says physical health to me that's what i think about you know we're promoting physical yeah, health physical in our health organization category, <laughs> yeah absolutely but yeah. mental health all of a sudden you know We've got illness, we're on antidepressants, we are having yeah. to have sad conversations with people that really make us feel uncomfortable. And it's like, no, good workplace health includes the overall well-being of a person, which is psychological and physical. And, and if we and just getting that focus around prevention. I mean, that's the space I want to work in, is, yeah. is prevention. Let's stop most of what's happening is preventable Absolutely. you know we don't we don't say to people oh well if you fall off that ladder don't worry because we've got brilliant first aider we stop the person falling off the ladder it would be ridiculous to take that position and yet time and time again that's what I hear in terms of attitudes to workplace mental health is we've got mental health first aiders we've got counseling we've got EOP of course those things are valuable of course, that support is needed, but the focus needs to be on on prevention, on risk management. You know, and again, that analogy with physical, I often say to people, if you're not sure, what would you do around physical health and safety? That's a really good place to start. So, you know, when I first started work, there was that whole idea of don't bring your problems into work. You know, that's we well, wouldn't say that to someone with a broken leg, would you? Don't you bring that broken leg into work? You know, just because you did it playing rugby or whatever you know it, it seems ridiculous but actually mm. our mental health is just a much just as much part of this as our physical health so Absolutely. again this whole language this whole narrative around it which i think is a communication issue there's an education piece there's a shift piece but there's that focus that we need to get more on prevention and then i think we'll start to get more organizations yeah. coming to it and understanding 
the sphere where they need to where they need to up their their activity Absolutely. and why it makes sense to do so you know we're not just doing it I mean, it is the right thing to do but we're doing it for really good commercial and legal reasons Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and the people reasons as well. So just move kind of moving on a little bit there. So um, how can organisations shift the dial on this? We know it's about this collaborative work and we know it's about kind of communication. What are some real kind of practical things? Um, for kind of some, I don't know, giveaways by Lindsay of some practical stuff um, that you know organizations can do in terms of having their well-being champions or teams or networks maybe their comms teams maybe they're a small organization they don't have a comms team maybe there's nobody into you know in many organizations that I've worked for there's never been anybody responsible specifically for mm -hmm. internal comms so yeah. in those types of organizations uh, where they don't have those people necessarily flagged us in, in that particular role what can they do to overall within the business everybody together do to kind of change that and well I guess, communication? I guess the thing is whether you have a dedicated internal comms person or not communication is happening communication is always happening it's never not happening even a lack of communication is communication so it's a good idea, and I would have that at a senior level to understand that and to start understanding what you do well and where you could improve. And depending on what the size of your organization is and the trust you have, trust is a real key thing here because if you ask people what they think but they don't trust you, then they won't tell you what, what they think. You know, we've all been in a meeting where everyone goes, everyone all right with that? Yeah. So, um, so depending on your level of trust, um, you could do anonymous, if, if you're not sure, you could do um, anonymous questionnaires and surveys. You can run workshops, you can run focus groups. And I, I would focus on doing a few things well. And that should be aligned to your strategy. You know, where is your business going and why? And therefore all your comms activity should be aligned to your strategy. Um, you know, if you, if you need, I mean, that's one of the reasons I help organizations because they don't have an internal comms person. I'm often the first comms pro to go into organizations. Um, if you need that objectivity, get someone from outside to come and help you. Because also sometimes people just be so much more honest with someone mm. and you would be amazed at the things people tell you. Um, and mostly I find people want to talk. When people don't want to talk is when they think either they're going to be, there's going to be a negative outcome because they do, or because they think nothing will happen. So if you are going to consult with your team, you need to be sure that there is something happens because of it. And if you can't do something, you need to explain why. Most people, I think, understand when you tell them. They may not like it, but they will understand it. So, you know, communication is never done. It's a constant process. So I would start by looking at your strategy, where the organization's going, and trying to understand in terms of your communication, what you do well and where you can improve, what channels, so what the methods that you are using work and what don't. Again, often if you've got limited resource, you know, focus on the three things that work well and talk to your people. Say, does this work? I went to a, a very well-known brand and they showed me their very lovely newsletter. It's very beautiful, very swanky. said, oh, that's lovely. Do people read it? Oh, yes. They do. Oh, okay. What's the readership like? Oh, they read it. We went around the business and I kept finding these massive boxes. <laughs> because producing something 
And sending it out is not the same as people using it and it resonating with an organization. And sometimes the simplest things are the best. Meetings, one-to-ones, talking to people, short pulse surveys. It's, again, it's like a lot of really good comms is the informal piece with the other set pieces going along. So it's going to look different for different organizations, but you need to be strategic in it, even if you're only a small organization. Too many people just go, well, we'll have a newsletter. Why? Because it's tangible. That might be the right thing for you, but it absolutely might not. And plus, quite a lot of work to do a good newsletter that people actually read. So, you know, really stripping it back to basics. Where are we going? Why are we going there? What does comms look like? Um, what are we doing well that we can build on? What should we stop doing? If something's not working. Um, and take it, you know, and take it from there. We could talk about that for hours. <laughs> <laughs> we could probably talk for it. Well, we do, we do talk. Well, for we hours, do talk for hours, yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So uh, we're kind of coming towards the end of the uh, 40 minutes or so. So just that one last question, really, Lindsay, about that one key piece of advice that you would give to business leaders when it comes to a pro anything to do with well-being in the workplace. So am I allowed to? So I think the first thing is educate yourself. You know, the world is changing. I think in the next two to three years, we're going to see this really um, becoming an increasingly important area. So there's that education piece. But I think in terms of that broader systemic piece and the work that um, people are trying to do around psychological health and safety at work is meet people where they are. You know, this whole piece that we've talked about in terms of language, in terms of understanding, Help them see, yes, they must do it, but help them see that this work is doable. It really is doable. And there are lots of phenomenal free resources out there. You know, I mean, I love the way that Louise Hoskins is talking about the catch the wave stuff. She's talking about putting the heart back into health and safety. And I think it's that humanizing piece that is really important too, and is simplifying it um, so that people will even come to the party. They will leave it, they, you know, they'll open their minds to this and they'll also see the benefits then of, of why they should be doing this work. What really drives me is that a lot of the distress we're seeing does not need to be happening. And it's costing individuals and their families and their friends a massive amount, but it's also costing business and UK PLC a massive amount. You know, there's so many good reasons to be doing this work. And we have to help people find that. And the way that we talk about that, I think, is, is vital in terms of how, how open people are to coming to this work and, and moving through it. Fantastic. Well, it's been great having you on the show, Lindsay. Lovely to talk to you. You've been listening to the UK Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention and the new ISO 45003 standard, follow subscribe to the UK Psych Health and Safety podcast at www.ukpsychhealthandsafety.com.